You're listening to Orange Blaze, a Florida Trail podcast. Because even at this point, you leave River Bend and you go out to the levees. So I had missed that bit between Kitchen Creek and how do you get to Indian Town Road. Well, what I didn't didn't know until after the hike and looking at the pictures and whatnot and the, the GPS track that Dean had done this let's get across the river with a boat thing (laughs) (laughs) and people were hanging on for dear life to branches not trying to fall into the river i mean it was you know trying to get over the creeks yeah of uh jonathan dickinson state park and the loxley river yeah (laughs) so that was sandra friend someone you all should know well by now and i'm misty little your host for the podcast If by some chance you were new to the podcast and new to Florida hiking, well, this is your lucky day, and you caught the right podcast to listen to. Sandra Fenn and her partner John Keatley are the folks behind Florida Hikes and much of the guidebooks related to Florida's hiking trails out there in publication. John wasn't able to be interviewed for this episode due to other life constraints, but Sandra and I had a wonderful conversation. The primary purpose of our conversation was to talk about the development of the Ocean Delight Trail in the early 2000s and her involvement in its beginnings. We pivot to her Florida Trail Hiking Guide update, as well as her fiction writing too. As always, a conversation with Sandra is a great way to spend some time, and I hope you'll find as much value in her words as I do. All right, on to the episode. Well, Sandra, thanks for coming back on the podcast. I think you might be, this will be a third time, so you might be the first person that's on here three times. So, I'm Hey, excited. I'm like yeah. Saturday Night Live and Steve Martin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think most people know who you are, but if you want to just give a brief uh, rundown about who Sandra Friend is and Florida Hikes, just quickly. Okay. Uh, I have been writing hiking guidebooks since the early 2000s. Uh, I've been a hiker pretty much all my life. Came down to Florida as a teenager, right in the middle of high school, which was rough. Uh, Went back up north to uh, Pennsylvania to college, got into hiking and backpacking and trail maintenance with Keystone Trails up there, and then got introduced to the Appalachian Trail. I actually grew up near the Appalachian Trail in New Jersey. Uh, if you're familiar with Barefoot Mountain, that area, I I could see Barefoot Barefoot Mountain from my uh, bedroom window as a kid, nice. and we'd see hikers at the trail crossings. My parents took me on the AT up to way way on the mountain when I was a little kid. So I've always loved hiking, but as a kid in Florida, yeah, I'm not going hiking. My parents had no interest in it at that point. Yeah. So uh, it wasn't until I came back as an adult, uh, my sister had passed away from a brain tumor that I came back to Florida to be with my parents and remembered I had heard there was hiking in the Ocala National Forest. We had done stuff when I was a kid and I said, okay, I'll go out and hike. Well, I had already been a part of an online community uh, called the ATL which was called a mailing list back in the day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, well before forums and social media and all that existed. And we all talked trails. Well, there was an FTL that was created that was for the Florida Trail. So I connected with a bunch of Floridians and said, hey, you know, I moved here in June 99. I'm like, well, why aren't you guys out hiking? You know, that's what I did every <laughs> yeah. summer in Pennsylvania. And some people said, okay, you're going to learn. <laughs> but Joan Jarvis down in Oviedo invited me to join me on, join with her in her group that she led on uh, Friday evening hikes. So that's how I got my first introduction to the FT, really, was um, hanging out with Joan. Yeah. I had met various people from Florida who talked Florida Trail at the Alda Gatherings when I was there for uh, AT stuff, but it was really moving back to Florida that got me connected with the community. And I went and found the FTA office and joined up in the middle of August and discovered, no, nobody hikes. (laughs) (laughs) But I immediately got roped in on working on building the trail on the cross Florida Greenway. I was part of that effort. And immediately got roped in on being a section leader for a portion of it. 
you know, and then volunteering to work on the magazine and the website and stuff. And you know how that goes. You're young and everybody wants you because yes. you have energy <laughs> and you're self-employed. Yes. yes. <laughs> so it means you have time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Except not. But right, anyway, right. Theoretically. <laughs> so I started writing trail guides back in the early 2000s kind of an outgrowth of the nonfiction writing I'd already been doing for children. I had a uh, good friend, Karen Berger, who many, many people know from her books on backpacking and hiking, who at the time was an editor for Gorp.com, and she was looking for Florida content, so I wrote a bunch of stories for her. And she's like, you know, I've got a publisher who's looking for a Florida guy. And that's how I got into writing the 50 Hikes series to Florida. And from there, it just kind of kept rolling. People heard I became an expert in Florida hiking. So publishers reached out to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you are, mm -hmm. I mean, anybody talks about Florida hiking now, it's go to Florida Hikes, talk to Sandra, see what she knows. <laughs> yeah, and I, I kicked off the website back in 2006, because at that point I had about seven or eight hiking guides published and trails were already starting to change and i'm like ah i gotta put these changes online and what about all these new trails i gotta put them somewhere yep. so that's how that started and it just kind of grew from there yeah and you just put out you said your third edition of the florida trail hikes uh actually that that's, that's going to be coming out this year this year okay um, well that's what i'm told i'm hoping um John and I did two editions on our own. And for those who don't know, Florida Trail Hikes is basically a day hiker and overnighter guide to the Florida Trail. Where are the best places, scenic wise, you know, distance wise, where you can balance the two, you don't do any roadwalks, the good stuff. So it's basically 4850 plus, uh, you know, different places to go hike. Plus, we do uh, details on nine major sections of the FT that are worth a section hike. And you don't have to deal with roadwalks on those generally. The Ocean to Lake, of course, is one of those. But um, for a third edition, I went looking at the cost of publication. And during we had brought the first two out right before and during COVID. And the price of both... Um, the paper from a printer and the actual cost of printing, the delivery cost, everything had tripled. And I'm like, this will make the book unaffordable. You know, we, yeah. we can't afford you know, to keep <laughs> the price what it is. You can't make the price too high. So I decided to reach out to one of my old publishers, University Press of Florida. I'd done a few books with them in the past. And I said, you know, guys, this book is selling very well. REI wants it in all their stores. And we've run out. You know, at this point, I think we have a dozen copies on the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we need a third edition. Trails changed again. Some parts. We wanted to put Econfina uh, Creek back in because it is such a great section to hike. But it wasn't open last time we did an edition. Yeah. So it wasn't worth doing yet. And University Press basically fell all over themselves to say, yes, we'll do it. That's good. So <laughs> they're promising to fact track it. We've already turned in the manuscript, all the photos, the maps, and we're looking forward to that. Coming out in, you know, at a rather strident pace, hopefully before the end of the year. Awesome. Good. Well, that's a which good update. Which means it'll be distributed nationally, too, which will be really cool. Nice. It nice. won't just be in Florida anymore. Yeah. So that way, you know, you're living outside of Florida. You're coming. You're thinking about coming to Florida. You can go buy it at your local bookstore or Amazon or whomever, right? Right. And it'll help promote the Florida Trail outside of Florida. Yes. Yes. That's good. Um, do you have any other florida-esque books coming up on your agenda or you're kind of i know you're focusing on fiction which we will talk about later but um anything else florida yeah related? well actually a big one uh, during covid john and i brought out like a mini coffee table book oh yeah and it's basically an end-to-end of -end the florida trail based on the photos we've taken 
over the years because once I'd finished all the miles, I'm like, I'm going to record it. <laughs> and one had never been done like that. So I thought, let's go ahead and do that. So that was kind of my COVID passion project for the trail, since I couldn't go out and do the hiking I wanted to. Then um, as I was talking to University Press of Florida, they were very interested in a new edition of Hiker's Guide to the Sunshine State. That book is over uh, 20 years old now. And, you know, definitely bears updating. And honestly, back when I wrote it, GPSs weren't common. Social media didn't exist. Yeah. And it wasn't actually easy to use Google Maps or anything like that to find a trailhead. Now the landscape has changed. So um, knowing I didn't want to handle it by myself, and John is very tied up with caregiving his dad, who's over 90 and has a lot of health issues. Um, I reached out to Chris Stevens. Uh, he's a wonderful guy here in our Central Florida chapter of FTA. And he has been assisting us, you know, John and I, with going out and doing field research and submitting all kinds of articles for the website. Basically, during COVID, I realized because we had an elderly parent in the family, we couldn't just go running all over Florida without yeah. be safe, even when it was, you know, deemed okay to go outdoors. So um, I reached out to Chris and a couple others and said, hey, guys, could you go out and do some field work for me and write articles up in the style that John and I do? Yeah. <laughs> and so they all did that. And, you know, Chris basically outpaced everybody else on everything, you know, <laughs> running out there and doing all kinds of hikes and stuff. So I've come to definitely rely on him to go out and be my eyes and ears for when I can't be out there in the field. And because of that, I said, hey, Chris, how would you like to go in with me on this book? I did the first edition all alone. Uh, I don't want to do the second edition alone. It's a huge coverage area at this point, you know, huge amount of trails. And he's already been out there researching a lot of these trails for our website. So I said, kind of a no-brainer, let's co-author this book. And he's like, yeah, Yeah, let's do it. Nice. So this this will be an ongoing project for the next year okay 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 well that sounds that sounds like an awesome project it sounds good to have get out there and canvas trails in places i haven't been in years yeah and so these are like trails that are at state parks or water management it's any kind of trail okay everything uh we're taking a different tack on it than the original like i said because the landscape of information on the internet has changed So instead of being county-based, it's going to be city-based, and it's going to be, let's go deep dive into anywhere from three to a dozen hikes in a particular area that are, you have to do these. And then shallow dive on the other ones that you ought to see and map them all out so you know how to find them. Awesome. Well, that's cool. Some big projects. It's going to be a lot of fun. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and keeping the up website up to date because you guys have storms all the time and closures and goodness (laughs) it's one thing after the other yeah it's it's just so much work and again you know chris has been such a help with me keeping florida trail information up being out there doing trail maintenance at this point you know he's got his ear to the ground on everything and he's um keeping most of the app information up to date at this point. For oh, me. nice. Okay, good, good. Yeah. Yeah, I still, I, I've never downloaded the app just because I'm like, well, I'm not actually hiking the trails and I don't live yeah. in Florida. I don't need it, but I am heard so much good things about the app. So I'm glad, and I'm glad people are relying on it and using it. Well, and I think it helped tremendously with discovery of the trail. Yeah. Uh, some years ago, all app providers on Apple had to take their individual apps, like an AT app, a Florida Trail app, a CDT app, and put them all in one app. Uh, It was something Apple required. If your apps all look the same and they all have the same structure, they all have to be in one little box. So I don't don't know a thing about it programming. (laughs) I am content only, you know, I'm research, but I do not do that kind of thing. But what happened is people would go into what was then gut hook and is now far out 
and they'd see the list, Appalachian Trail, Florida Trail, what's that? And all of a sudden, all these people who are hiking the AT or the PCT, CDT, all these other trails are like, hey, there's a trail in Florida. So I think that absolutely made, you know, the, the discoverability of the Florida Trail a big thing. Yes. Yeah. And led to how many hikers we have coming down now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, word of mouth, social media, people yep. looking, I mean, I think we'll talk about that more a little a bit later too, yes. but uh, yeah, I think COVID probably did the most because outdoor spaces all over. It doesn't have to mean long distance trails. State parks are just constantly full. I'm sure you're dealing with the same thing in, in oh, Florida. Gosh. You, you can hardly get a uh, campsite. Yeah. That's been a problem for years in Florida because everyone wants to come here in the winter. Yeah. And they put the campsites here in advance. Yes. And Floridians are screwed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you guys just passed a law that y'all have first, first dibs, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a new thing. And it's kind of the reason, even though I have had both publishers and the public say, why don't you do a, a guide on camping in Florida? I'm like, I don't want to tell you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather keep that for Floridians, you know, who know where the county park campgrounds are and such. So we'll have a little bit of that kind of stuff in Hiker's Guide, but still not the whole shebang. Yeah, right, 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 right. Well, so originally I was posted a few months ago when you talk about the Ocean to Lake Trail and you said, hey, I have some information. I would be welcome to talk with you about it. And, you know, it's, the Ocean to Lake Trail is you know, becoming just as popular as like the regular Florida trail, if not maybe more popular, especially with locals. Um, and I only know a little bit about the trail and we hiked it, you know, in 2009 before really people were hiking it <laughs> as a through hike. Um, so yeah, maybe you can talk a little bit about the ocean. Like why was it even, how did it come to fruition? Why was it formed? All of the nitty gritty. I'm sure you have the whole history of that. Well, I don't have it in front of my face, but I can tell you uh, the important thing was the Loxahatchee chapter really wanted to have connectivity with parts where they had established trails long ago, and they were supposed to be a part of the overall Florida trail, and the rat never went in that direction. Originally, it was thought rather than go around Lake Okeechobee on the dikes, it was going to come towards the population centers on the East Coast. So the, the loop trails they had built in Corbett and Dupuis and Jonathan Dickinson were all a part of that mix. And I first heard about it, let's say 2002, 2003. Those were the first rumblings. There was a gentleman who's unfortunately passed away at this point, Dean Drake, uh, who pretty much spearheaded it. He went to water management and said, let's see how we can connect these things together. Uh, both Martin County and Palm Beach County were putting together basically uh, purchases of land along with South Florida Water Management to make a greenway that stretched from the Atlantic Ocean to Lake Okeechobee. And it was meant to be a multi-use greenway. They planned to have hiking, biking, and equestrian trails on it. That was the idea. And so I believe they called it the uh, North Everglades Natural Area was the original name, Nina. Nina. They've since they've since given it different names, but that was there's still a trailhead that has that name on the oh. <laughs> on the side, Nina. I was like, it but sounds it, familiar, yeah. Yeah. And Dean pretty much spearheaded it with the chapter. He worked closely with water management. Fred Davis was the uh, recreation director, as I recall, with South Florida Water Management. He was a, a Florida Trail member with the Loxahatchee chapter in West Palm Beach. And he and Dean B. Rogers, you know, a, a longtime uh, retiree who's been, you know, active in trail maintenance and still is, went out there and started canvassing Will these when we connect these lands together, where can we go? And not all the lands were purchased yet. So they were looking at the levee trail systems. And I want to say it was, uh, actually, I have photos. 2003, a group of hikers, a handful of whom I knew, you now Fred and Dean among them, went out there 
and tried to figure out where are we going to put this trail? Now, their plan was to backpack it. They didn't get all the way to the, the lake. They only got so far, but it gave them an idea of what the challenges were. Where are we going to have to build bridges? I recall at the very start, Dean actually had a boat in a canal and you would have to have someone row you across it and row back. It was just, it was weird. Yeah. But it was, it was the idea of how can we connect these lambs that already have trail on them. So I came into the picture in uh, 2004. I was working on the Florida Trail Guide. I was actually working for the Florida Trail Association at that point as a communications director. And no one had mapped it yet. And as you know, FTA sells maps. So I said, I'll map it. No problem. (laughs) You know, I already have that expertise. (laughs) You know, just give me the measuring wheel and I've got my GPS and off I go. So uh, I volunteered to be a part of that backpacking trip that year. However, my work got in the way. You know, part of my job was public outreach. So basically, I got to start the hike. Oh, and we had a uh, reporter with Palm Beach Post come oh, to the wow. trip, wow. Willie Howard. So, you know, and I encouraged him to be there. But he already had a lot of connections with folks in the chapter. So... Uh, I got to do from basically Hope Sound Beach, got pictures of us at daybreak, of literally just silhouettes of <laughs> backpackers on the beach, and then uh, up through Kitchen Creek Campsite in Jonathan Dickinson as day one. And then uh, one of my friends took me out at that point. I handed Fred Davis my GPS and measuring wheel, said, you're it till I get back. <laughs> And then I had to go give a talk to a convention of garden clubs in Florida. Oh, wow. <laughs> in Palm Beach. Oh, my <laughs> and goodness. so, you know, I went and did that, stayed in a nice room, not my tent that night, and then got taken back to the trail at Indian Town Road to meet the group at River Bend Park. At this point, River Bend Park was not open to the public. Yeah. It had been acquired years before. And basically, the land managers, the manager of the park, didn't want to open it. It was like his private domain. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he literally said that at one point. You know, it's like, you know, it's just not going to be the same when we open it. And he did everything to stall opening. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It was hilarious. But he was really sweet. You know, he escorted us through. We got, you know, we. We went ahead. He had drinks and food and whatnot for us. And then we went out to the um, levee system because at, even at this point, you leave River Bend and you go out to the levees. So I had missed that bit between Kitchen Creek and how do you get to Indian Town Road? Well, what I didn't didn't know until after the hike and looking at the pictures and whatnot and the, the GPS track that Dean had done this, let's get across the river with a boat thing. <laughs> and people were hanging on for dear life to branches not trying to fall into the river i mean it was you know trying to get over the creeks yeah of uh jonathan dickinson state park and the loxagachi river yeah (laughs) so um i joined in there we started going down the levee system and there were no designated campsites yet so it's like okay fred was Fred was with us, I think, at that point, and then he had to drop out and go to work and join us later. But it was like, okay, we're going to camp in this Australian pine grove. Yeah. So we get camped in there. First thing, you know, at this point, there are there are already pythons in South Florida, and we're hearing about pythons. So everyone's setting up their tents, and I see this long black thing on the on the ground that looks like python shaped python length. I'm like, ah. <laughs> Well, it turned out it was Paul Guyon's hammock all rolled up. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but in the light, in the, you know, in the shadow, it's like, oh, God, come on. Uh, we, you know, we had, so we had kind of a first night just there by the levee, hung out on the levee itself to cook our dinner and whatnot because we didn't want to do it in the pine needles. Yeah. And then late, late at night, yeah, I think Fred might have left at that point because late, late at night, 
we start hearing ATVs running up and down the levee. Oh, no. You know, and at this point, they've got gates and fences and stuff, so that doesn't happen anymore. But we're like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Can we get run over? What yeah. if they see our eyes? Yeah. So somebody called law enforcement. <laughs> no. Just flip the sheriff that we're out here. Well, what are you doing out there? You know, and then we had to get Fred involved. We're hiking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But nobody had done that before. Yeah. So. <laughs> So we continued along that levee system, which now actually has a trail name. I want to say it's a Pantano Trail or some such. But um, Palm Beach County has now made a network of trails along their levees, and they've given them all names. And oh, nice. Nice. So it makes it possible for cyclists to use them. And the Florida Trail just jumps on and off them. And, yeah, that works out. Yeah. So we skirt what eventually becomes Loxahatchee Slough natural area and cross the Beeline Express, uh, not an expressway, but the Beeline. Yeah, Beeline, yeah. And over there. And then again, another levee past Hungerland Slough, another piece of land that I think they had acquired, but they'd done nothing to yet. And it was absolutely covered in invasives, just like Loxahatchee Slough. Yeah. It just needed work really yeah. bad. But that particular levee, which we walked past, I have a picture here on my uh, desktop of everyone took this picture, a stop sign absolutely riddled to pieces by bullets <laughs> with a giant gaping <laughs> hole in it. You know, it's like, oh, we're at this place. And we get to Corbett Wildlife Management Area and Everglades Youth Camp. And that's where Fred had arranged for us to stay the night at the youth camp. Okay. Now, they don't do that anymore because of child protective concerns and whatnot. Yeah. But, you know, that used to be a regular stop for the group hike once the group hike got going the following year. So we had an evening there and then it was on to the Corbett Trails, which had existed had existed for, I want to say, I've seen pictures of them, I think, back in the early 80s, okay. maybe even late 70s. So you know, they've been around a long time. What was new was the connector built between Corbett and Dupuy. Now, the habitats out there are very big cypress-like. Mm -hmm. As you, you know, you yeah. recall being out there, you have large prairies and savannas. You have pine flatwoods. And then you have cypress strand. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so we did have a cypress strand to, to wade through. And I am pushing my measuring wheel through about a foot and a half of water. Oh, gosh. <laughs> at this point. <laughs> because it was just fine in Jonathan Dickinson. And the guys managed to get it over the creek. And, you know, that's it. They were crossing Cypress Creek. That's what was so difficult to cross. Yeah. So, um, you know, they crossed Cypress Creek with it. I got it all back from Fred when I joined the group at Indian Town at River Bend. But, you know, at this point, it's like this is yeah, through the hole in the wall with it. Yeah, know, yeah. Through all yeah. this muck with it. And I've got pictures of, you know, me with the thing half buried in muck. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. I've got a GPS. They weren't especially as accurate back then. Yeah. But my publisher at the time for the 50 Hike Series wanted me to use a measuring wheel so i did and by the time we got to um, little gopher campsite that's where dean came in with a truck i guess he knew the back roads and had you know had the vehicle to get back there and whatnot and i just gave him my measuring wheel said i'm not <laughs> even going to try to do this anymore it's just going to be gps from this point on yeah that was the night i burned my socks because my socks were soaking wet and it just didn't occur to me that they were made of petrochemicals. Oh God. <laughs> so everybody was holding their socks over the fire on the uh, palmetto sticks and, you know, mine crisped up and I'm like, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're like, oh, it's like, good thing I had more than one pair, but you know, forget that pair. It's toast, literally. <laughs> oh my gosh. So we did that. We pushed on through um, into Dupuis and at the campsite at the south end of the Dupuis Loops, Fred was waiting for us with the gentleman, uh, BJ Cattell, who's taken Fred's place at this point as recreation head for uh, South Florida Water Management. 
And he and BJ had set up like a chili cookout at the campsite. There were no facilities at the campsite. They brought in water. They brought in chili. They brought in chairs. I mean, it was great. It was a beautiful campsite. It still is. But now there's actually a picnic table and potable, you know, not potable, but a uh, water pump. Oh, yes, and, yes. You know, nice. so we got to that point, And then it's like, well, you're going to need to follow us. And I think B. Rogers joined us that morning because we're just getting this route worked out to get out to um, 441 along the lake so we follow them you know off the beaten trail onto these brand new blaze trails and pop out into sugarcane fields <laughs> it's like okay you know and then it's hike through the sugarcane field and oh look here we are at 441 and then we have to road walk three miles to port mayaka which mm -hmm. is where we plan to end you know at this point when people end they end at that nina trailhead yes which at this point i think might have a different name and back then you get there there was no trailhead but you also could not cross the canal to get to the levee you had to go to port mayaka there was no choice if you wanted to hook up to the um okeechobee section of the florida trail so we road walked to Port Mayaka in the rain. Oh, you know, fun. There, we, you know, we all dipped the toe in the Atlantic. We all, you know, dipped the toe in Lake Okeechobee. <laughs> and said, okay, now we can go have a nice big steak dinner. <laughs> so, yeah, it, you know, it was fun. It was fun. It was adventuresome. I've got a lot of very old photos sitting here, <laughs> you know, that both I and about, you know, four other people took because it was the first opportunity to actually document the trail. Yeah. And of course it changed it more. Thank goodness. You know, the boat went away, <laughs> you know, the rope across the Creek went away. Hope, Hope Grove Canal never went away. You still have to wait it. But the other things that were really logistical difficulties for anyone trying to backpack unless they went with the annual group, which started the following February, um, those were resolved by the county by building bridges over the canals. Yeah. So that was, you know, a huge contribution to be able to make the route more permanent. And eventually the fact that they had cleaned up those properties, Hungry Land Slew, and Loxahatchee Slough, and then blazed the trail through it and added campsites eventually. You know, and now there's not, I don't think there's one in Hungry Land Slough yet, but they've talked about it. But there, um, there is in Loxahatchee Slough. Yeah. Foggy thoughts for good reason. <laughs> yeah. The, um, so remember when we were planning the 2009 hike, we were thinking we were going to have to go wading across some of these canals but then i think when we pulled because at the time we printed off i think the loxatchee chapter had a print off on their website like yeah of mileage markers mm -hmm. and and all of that and so i think we printed that off and we're like oh my gosh are we gonna have to swim across the canal or what and we get there and we get there and there's a bridge we're like there's a bridge oh my god and i think it well, had been really relatively recently put in so i was like i'm very happy about this yeah, and those canal walls were so steep, and yeah. the canals were deep. I mean, you just, you didn't want to. And then there were the gators, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, well, that's what I was worried about. I'm like, we're going to get everything wet, and how are we going to do this? And cool. I, Yeah, I knew. I was worried, but I was glad it worked out. <laughs> but then I came back, you know, years later in 2011 just to do it for myself with a bunch of girlfriends and we went with the group but we had it. billy goat was on that trip oh cool so, yeah we had it we had a good time i had to bail at the halfway point because there was a place where you had an option and this didn't exist on my first trip across at corbett you could go through the pond or around the pond and originally the route was always around the pond well, the orange blazes went through the pond. So I did, and I got stuck in the mud, and I wrenched my leg pretty badly. Oh, no. Down, you know, and just stepping right off in the deep mud. It was like, ugh. So I came back the following year, and at that point, I'd met John. So that was his introduction <laughs> to a multi-day <laughs> trip on the Florida Trail was hiking from Corbett to um, Hope Sound Beach. Wow. And we wow. had a great time with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, man, there's something I was going to ask you to say. Oh, 
I remember. So that first trip across, were y'all blazing blazing trail too, or was it already no. blazed? It was already blazed. It was already blazed. Okay. This was more or less we were a test Just case. Fair. Okay. The folks who had gone the year before kind of said, okay, this is kind of sort of where we want to go. Uh, B and Dean rustled up trail crews like crazy. They had people out there blazing where they thought the trail would go. I know they had to move it numerous times. Land manager said, no, we don't want it there. We want it there. You know, and that's what happens with trails, especially here. Yeah. So um, when we got to it, it, it was not it was not entirely blazed because it was yeah. still a work in progress. <laughs> when I came back in 2011, the bridges were there, the blazes were there, there was there was signage. You know, it made sense at that point. Right. In right. 2011. Yeah. So in some sections that there weren't more, you know, delineated trails like, you know, further west, were you bushwhacking at all or were you kind of like wandering around like where do we go? No, you... actually they they pretty much followed old forest roads. Oh, okay. Okay. You know, where they could just because there were you know how Corbett is. It's yeah. got a gazillion buggy yeah. tracks yes. and those maddening. Um, Dupuis did not have that, but it did have forest roads and they kind of peeled off onto them when they needed to. Okay. You so. know, over the years, it's drifted off the forest roads and actually into the woods, which is the preferable experience. Yes. But it is not that easy to maintain when it's wet. No, no, for sure. <laughs> now, I would just kind of imagine you almost sort of bushwhacking and making your own adventure, but I'm glad to know that somebody already done a lot of that work for you. <laughs> and originally, it was intended that this was going to be an arm of the FNST you know, basically an alternate starting point um, from Hope Sound, from the Atlantic Ocean, you know, big population area, easy to get to, and then walk out to Lake Okeechobee. But because of the number of restrictions that are applied to a certified piece of FNST, the chapter decided they would rather maintain it as just Florida trail system. Okay. So, you know, they fully funded, maintain that trail with the help of the land managers along it. Okay. So whenever there's a need for like a, um, the Cypress Creek Bridge was heavily damaged by floodwaters this past year, there uh, there's a, a trail running group that does a lot with the chapter. And they did a fundraiser to help raise money for you know, replacing the Cypress Creek Bridge and did a good job at that. I think they raised over $10,000. Oh, wow. Impressive. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that conversation brings me to the topic of other people bringing up <laughs> the Ocean of Lake as an alternative. It, it seems to be a new topic in the last year of bringing the Ocean Lake up as an alternative for the start of the Florida Trail. Now, I guess supposedly people could do that for themselves. Yeah. Um, of course. But... So that would never be something that would be implemented probably by the FTA. Well, first off, I think it falls outside of the, the designated route, the congressionally designated route. Okay. You know, it might be that Corbett or Dupuis are in it because they're over there near Lake Okeechobee, but I'm, I don't think Jonathan Dickinson is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Certainly not the things in between. Right. Okay. All right. So yeah, it would never then, it would take some effort congressionally to get it considered. F yeah. And I, I think Big Cypress is unique enough that despite all the challenges in hiking and the challenges in maintaining it, it's going to stay, you know, the, the Southern terminus. Well, and I think the alternative idea was because of increasing people on Big Cypress, especially at the mm -hmm. beginning, that this would offer some alleviation because, you know, I think everyone is a little bit concerned about, you know, too much hiker traffic going across Big Cypress and oh, yeah. you know, where are people camping. So I think that was why it was kind of brought up. But I think we have also other options. Trying to stagger people out on their hikes a little bit more would probably be a good idea. Yeah, and also more people hiking southbound. Yeah, which seemed to happen this year mm -hmm. more. I think uh, the hurricane probably helped with that as well. You know, and we've encouraged some people to flip-flop or pivot. You know, don't start with Big Cypress. Start at Lake Okeechobee, go up or start, you know, at the Seminole Reservation, go up and then come back and do Big Cypress at the end. Because at that point, 
you've got your trail legs, you know what to deal with, <laughs> you know, you know what things are like. And it's probably a little bit drier by the time you come back down too. So yeah, you just don't want to wait too late. Yeah. Yeah. I saw plenty of people this year too, waiting too late and they're like, there's no water. And I'm like, that's what happens. I've done that before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Been both ways, no water and tons of water. Mm -hmm. Um, well, okay. So speaking of current popularity of the Florida trail, um, did you have any insight or thoughts about just, I mean, we want people to come to the Florida trail. You know, there's been some growing pains, I think this last year. And I honestly, <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but I certainly never thought we'd see the numbers that we're seeing. We're finally seeing like, you know, hundred people or more hiking on the trail, uh, in a season. And it's kind of like overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of pretty amazing. Um, actually Billy goat day this year, I believe we counted over 170 people there. That's more than we've seen at some conferences. So just the fact that there are that many people who are prior hikers coming back, current hikers coming in, you know, local maintainers joining in. It's like, there's, there's a thing. People yeah. <laughs> to be a part of this thing, which is cool. And I'm glad Billy Goat could, could have been there. You know, he was there this year and that was a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's definitely good. <laughs> I mean, hopefully Billy Goat's got another 10 years and he, you know, we'll see, yep. <laughs> but hopefully we can, you know, as the years go on, you can just pivot this just to be a hike, a hiker gathering. It's a, it's a good opportunity, uh, in the time of year when hikers are there, it's just kind of like, you know, trail days. It's a good time for hikers to get together. Yep. And it's definitely outgrowing the space. I know, uh, you know, FT through hike is looking at alternative venues just because they're running out of room for people. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I was going to say Wickham Park might be a good idea, but it might be too off, too far off the trail. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. That's the, that's the problem is you want to keep close to the trail for the hikers sake. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, lots of good challenges to think oh, about. Yeah. Um, yeah, to me, it's very heartening to see the, the community grow, but just like any community, as it grows, you have more interpersonal issues, you have more overuse issues, you have more just issues. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's <laughs> conflicts people. between landowners and land management and, you know, yeah. we're trying to close gaps and get roadwalks into land. And then you have like these interactions mm -hmm. where the hikers aren't wanting to follow the rules correctly. And yeah, and that's know. a huge problem. And it has been for years. That is not a new thing. Unfortunately, you've always got outliers who just want to hike their own hike and damn everyone else. And I'm sorry, that doesn't cut it in a state that's so darn crowded as ours. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you just ruin it for everybody else. And then you get the trail yep. kicked off that section and then we've got a, another road walk and then you got to complain about that. So <laughs> yep. it's uh it's never ending. So, mm -hmm. but uh, I yeah. think all trails go through those growing pains. Just, you know, the Florida trail, it was delayed for so long because people couldn't find it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, there was a podcast I listened to occasionally. I actually haven't listened to it a long time, but it came up, uh, someone from the, they had hiked the Florida trail this year in addition to some other trails and they were a guest on this show. But then the caption was again, like something really just snotty about the Florida trail, the unpopular mm -hmm. Florida trail. And I was like, I don't think it's unpopular. Or I don't think you're following the right people here. Yeah. It is not unpopular. Maybe if maybe a few people are giving it a bad name, but people love the Florida Trail. That's been the general opinion, I think. You you always get hikers who either freak out about the water, freak out about the sand, freak out about the insects, or oh my god, you have gators. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> like I'm sorry. It's, I mean it's, it's Florida. Florida. Did you learn about that? <laughs> <laughs> If you don't want to hike in those conditions, don't come here. Yeah. Yep. 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 Well, before we leave Florida trail talk, is there anything else you want to talk about Florida trail? I know you've, you try to branch out and do a lot of different things these days. So you may be Florida trailed out. Well, that's, you know, part of it with COVID is I was looking for other things to do myself. Um, 
One of the things uh, to mention, I don't know if you've done a podcast on this, was the FNST's 40th anniversary, that it's been 40 years since yes. the designation as a National Scenic Trail. So um, I got kind of involved with rounding up photographs and writing articles and whatnot for the, uh, the special edition of the footprint mm-hmm. that came out this spring. And I tell you, it's kind of freaky to go back and say, oh, I've got 23 years of pictures. <laughs> Actually, 25 years, back to 99, yeah. 25 years of pictures I've taken of the Florida Trail. And here are all these events I took pictures of, and I'm the only one still alive. Oh, no. That's kind of scary. Yeah. Because I was 35 when I first jumped in and got involved. And here we are. You know, 25 years later, so <laughs> a lot of the people who were newly retired back then are either not capable of hiking or just not with us anymore. Yeah, right. And we're right. losing more every week. And it, it's very sad. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> being, being, finding myself in that, oh, I'm the next generation. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the one. Quite, that... Like two generations back from them. But still, it, it's weird. It's yeah. weird yeah. to say, oh, I've been around that long that I knew all those people when, and now they aren't. Ugh. Well, I mean, that's good. I mean, you've been like the Florida Trails documentarian, basically. <laughs> um, and so you have a lot of those stories. And I mean, of course, the Florida Trail Association has documented it as well through their magazine and, and newsletters. But um, to know that you have a lot of those stories is really a cool thing. Yeah. And I was fortunate when um, John and I were putting together that 50th anniversary Mm -hmm. coffee table book, I had for about six years uh, actually done uh, oral histories with a whole bunch of the old timers who they're not here anymore. Yeah. So, you know, to have those things recorded is really nice to hear the old stories. Yeah. And I might talk with you about oral histories in a minute after for something else later. So. um okay yes yeah and the florida trail i have not gotten to read that magazine yet i haven't had the time to just sit there and like spend hours looking at it um well i was it looks you know, amazing through and i'm like oh there you are but <laughs> like oh here's my byline and here's my byline. oh oops <laughs> <laughs> it, it was almost kind of embarrassing but it's like yeah i guess because i know those stories you know i was able yeah. to help bring them out well i mean luckily i think we do have a good crop of younger folks you know my age and oh, you know absolutely. in the 20s coming up and yep. and filling in those gaps and i know that the fta is actively pushing for that next gen uh program to get that going to get younger folks involved as well so hopefully we have a nice steady stream of people coming through you know, and I can see retirement age from here. So I'm like, well, you know, it's a good thing. There are so many younger people doing these things that I used to do because I don't have to do them anymore. <laughs> it ha- No, I mean, from the standpoint that there are so many of them, there are so many voices. Yeah. It was not a good thing to be the voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, after a while, it gets very tiring. Yeah. <laughs> and you deal with a lot. So to have so many voices and so many diverse voices, that is key. It is amazing how much in the way of diversity there is with the trail community now that there certainly wasn't when I first joined FTA. Or even 10 years ago. So yeah, it's changed a lot. It's Mm -hmm. good. (sighs) Okay. So moving on from Florida trail. uh, So you said in 2020, you were like, I got to start thinking about other things. You're a, you know, you've been a writer all your life. And I know you've been doing a lot of fiction writing. How, how's that coming along? Yeah, it's coming along. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a process. What I've learned because I've written nonfiction since the mid nineties, fiction is a whole different animal. And I had to learn that. And I had to learn it painfully by writing and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting. And I'm now on revision number 12 of the novel. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but I talked to other friends and they're like, yeah, it took me three or four years to get my first novel out. So I don't feel that badly about it. But I, you know, I came into the idea in 2020 and in 2018, 
you've probably heard of NaNoWriMo. Which yeah, is a, yep, you I've know, done that. November, National Novel Writing Month, where you're supposed to blurt out a novel as quickly as you can and hit the 60,000 word mark and say, yay, I'm done. Yeah. Okay, so I did that. And it makes for a good first draft. I did that in 2018. Well, in 2020, uh, in 2019, John and I took a road trip and we visited places that I included in my novel or the backstory of it. So I said, okay, I'm going to pull it out again. Then COVID came. And I actually spent because, you know, they shut down parks. And I'm like, what am I going to do? This is crazy. I sat and put as much content on Florida hikes as I could. And then I learned that the girlfriend who'd really gotten me into interest in fiction writing was dying of cancer. Mm. And I didn't know that. And she was my age and she was in hospice at home. And I'm like, oh my God. You know, and she was like my inspiration for fiction. You know, you gotta get the novel out. I've been yeah. since I was a kid. I want to get a novel <laughs> written. You know, I said that in my high school yearbook. I'm gonna write novels. <laughs> so um she died, and I'm like, okay, this NaNoWriMo, I'm going to pick it up and start it again. And I started over, and I had, I kept going. I got through November, went to December, went to January, and I looked at what I'd done and said, I don't like this story, but I like the background of this story from the 50s. So then I dove into a whole new, you know, pile of research to get into um, a story about the early space program. And it was inspired by two things, which sound disparate, but I found there was a real factual connection between them. When I was a kid, and John remembers this too, and other people my age, our ages, um, you would go to like a souvenir shop in Florida along US 301, and outside would be a chicken in a box with a piano, a little <laughs> tiny player piano. And you'd go up to that and you'd put a dime or a quarter in or whatever. And the chicken would play chopsticks. And then a little flap would open and feed the chicken. And then the chicken would disappear behind a curtain. It was like when you put when you put the coin and the chicken came out, it played chopsticks at eight and then it went away. Huh. And I'm like, okay, that's bizarre. The fact that I remember, <laughs> remember it yeah. But I'm not the only one. Other people have. And then my uh, father-in-law, whose job's taken care of now, was a manager in the early space program. He actually worked most of his career in space. He, I just learned at a memorial service this week for one of his friends, um, he is the last man standing from the first launch of an Atlas rocket oh, at wow. Cape Canaveral wow. in 1957. He was one of the men in the blockhouse for that. And so he's told me over the years a lot of stories about the early space program. And one of the things he brought up were the chimps on Project Mercury. Oh, yeah. He was there when the chimps, because he was the manager with this, he was there when the chimps were put into the capsules before oh, wow. <laughs> the men could try the capsules. And, you know, he told me stuff about it. And I remember as a kid reading about that in, you know, elementary school they had my weekly reader a little newspaper for kids mm -hmm. oh look monkeys in space <laughs> so i'm like okay there has to be a connection between the piano playing chicken and the monkey in space and there is oh <laughs> and that's what we found well john and i were researching in 2019 and it ties to hot springs arkansas and i'm not going to go any deeper yeah. than that because i want you to buy the book yeah but you know, the idea is tying those two disparate things together over the over a whole bunch of classified military programs that did not start being declassified until the 90s. Wow. So all kinds of crazy stuff going on in the military involved with space between 1957 and 1958, which were the International Geophysical Year. The first time the major countries of the world tried to do anything about measuring space. Hmm. What is space? And uh, the U.S. and Russia were both saying, well, put a satellite up. And, they, you know, well, obviously, we all know Russia got there first. Yeah. <laughs> the Union at that time. So um, there was a lot of 
funky stuff going on, spy versus spy stuff going yeah. on, secret projects on both ends. So I just dive into that with the whole story being focused on the veterinary team that took care of the animals going to space. Wow. Cool. That sounds amazing. I can't imagine the research you have done, though. That sounds oh, like insane. Yeah, it, has been, it has been great. And, you know, I can do prequel, sequel, that kind of thing. But right now, I need to get the right opening to get my characters. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've got a good solid story now. I just need to open it properly. So I just keep tinkering with it. Okay. At some point, it will be ready. So maybe in the next couple of years, we'll have a fiction book by Sandra Friend. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, the idea is I really want to pitch it to an agent and get it out there in the mainstream. Yeah, yeah. That would be awesome, yeah. I think. I I'm mean, not about to push a self-published button on Amazon with this. I actually want to oh, do no. something with it because I like my characters and I, I like the whole setup of the things I found out that were real that I can riff off of. Yeah. Well, and I think you have such a, you know, you have a lot to your name. I think an agent's going to take you up pretty quickly. Yeah, I, would, I would hope so. <laughs> but it, I mean, basically it's historical fiction. The yeah. story's totally made up, but it's yeah. all historical yeah. roots, historical yeah. figures, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But you're an established writer. So I would think that hopefully that they would be like, okay, let's try this. Yeah, And, yeah. and then you'll, you'll, I don't know. I think it'll work. I'm excited. It sounds like an interesting story. So, Well, thanks. I've had so much fun with it. But that is why, you know, more time on fiction, less time on trails. I'm easing back. I can see the retirement threshold. Yeah. <laughs> not, yeah. not far in the distance. I, I started a NaNoWriMo in uh, 2021. I actually did one back in like 2012 mm -hmm. and maybe even late 2011 i didn't i didn't finish and then uh so to 2021 i actually finished and then i was like okay well i can i can finish the rest i finish, finish the rest of the book you know later this year and of course i'm still sitting on the book and i have not i've kind of worked on editing it a little bit and tinkering with the idea but now i'm kind of like how do i finish this <laughs> so i've got to get it back and out and going so maybe this maybe this nano rimo coming up i will tackle that well the, the good thing about nanoromo is it forces you to just blurt out something yeah. that you can then mold yes and even if you've already done the blurting you can blurt it out again and yeah. like shape it differently yeah but yeah. it gives you a it gives you a goal and a focal point yeah and if you put everything else away put the blinders on you can get it done so now the uh the gal who had inspired me to you know get off my butt and get fiction written she had set up an online check-in group over a decade ago, you know, back when Facebook was new. And excuse me, she had uh, invited me in, even though I was just doing guidebooks at the time, trying to, you know, okay, yeah. come on, move along, move along. <laughs> you know, and that is, it helps keep me honest. I check in every morning. Uh, unless I'm traveling, I basically spend a minimum of an hour on fiction before I move on to doing trail stuff and other work. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Nice. I think, uh, yeah, dedication, it's button seat. That's how it gets done. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it can take an hour to just write one paragraph. That's true. <laughs> especially if, that's especially if you've part? got the research you've got to distill into the story. I mean, that's, that's the hard part. Yep. Cool. And I'm for fortunate to have quite a few friends who have backgrounds in various things the story touches on. You know, like Air Force life, like, uh, uh, oh gosh, NASA, that kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> it's like, right. Okay. To give you that Chickens. insight. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I know you and John also like to travel. And have you guys got any travels coming up? Well, unfortunately, with caregiving, it's That's kind true. of you know, camp down. So um, we are members of the Outdoor Writers Association of America. We did a nice trip with them back in December, and they're having their annual conference in Gulf Shores, Alabama, which is, you know, right over the border from Pensacola. So at a minimum, I'll be going there for that conference, yeah. you know, just because it's an opportunity to get out there and do some more hiking the panhandle in places I haven't been. I'm hoping he can go, but it all depends on how things are at home. Right, right. Understand, understand. Well, is there anything else you'd like to talk about Ocean and Lake or Florida Trail or writing? Um, you know, I think we've covered a lot uh, and 
there's two other podcasts with you. So people, they're like, I really want more. <laughs> two more podcasts with Sandra. And, uh, you know, you're always, you know, online and your website and Facebook's sharing all sorts of great stuff too. So. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. You know, I'm still, still putting my heart into Florida hikes. Yeah. I don't see that's that coming to an end with any kind of retirement, but I know I'll be easing off the Florida trail stuff eventually. Yeah. Right. There are enough people to pick up the flag and run with it at this point. I feel happy about that. And I think Chris is going to be leading the forefront. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. So, seeing what Chris and Chelsea do, it's pretty. Absolutely. They're out there busting their butt doing so and much. They are for... awesome team. They yeah. are an awesome team. So, well, thank you, Sandra, for coming on the podcast again. It's always great to chat with you, whether we're chatting podcasts or just chatting for life. So it's fun. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. That's it for my conversation with Sandra Friend. You can find information about our books and social media locations in the show notes for the episode at orangeblaze.thegardenpathpodcast.com. Be sure to tell your hiking friends about the podcast. And if you haven't left a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify yet, consider leaving a five-star review for the podcast. Thanks and happy hiking.